0: and enjoy the show. listeners and welcome back to Horror Hill. We're going to be closing out Season 7 tonight with a cliffhanger, but don't worry, we plan on wrapping this story up next week as we begin Season 8. The story in question is The Book of Agony by Dagon Billups. In this tale, despite it being Ben's 12th birthday party, he is far from happy, Surrounded by family and friends, all he can think about is the recent death of his best friend, Daniel Mortley. However, that night he finds a mysterious book full of grisly horrors that make him suffer horrible dreams. Eventually, a strange visitor known only as The Nameless comes by for a visit, wearing an eerily familiar face. Disclaimer. Horror Hill is a horror anthology podcast bringing you scary stories from all corners of the internet and beyond. As such, certain stories include content that some listeners might find offensive. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Standard Edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today and get instant access. Did I mention they're ad-free? Thank you for your support. now, from author Dagan Billups, I give you The Book of Agony, Part 1, Chapter 1. Ben only wanted the party to end. He'd become accustomed to isolation and only paid any real, if distant, attention to his two friends, Thomas and Jay. But a full-blown birthday party was simply too much for Ben to handle especially since the only one he genuinely wanted to have there would never be able to make it. "'Hey, a sport?' Ben's father, a lanky, dark-haired man named Dave Ross, chuckled. "'Why the long face? It's your birthday. Let loose a little. Quit being such a sourpuss. Not every day you turn 12.' He was wearing his typical white button-up shirt and tie." Ben forced a slight upwards motion from the corners of his lips and glanced down awkwardly. He did not want Dave to go on about his mood again. What? Did you not like your presents? Let me guess. We got you the wrong Harry Potter book. Damn it! I knew Penny was wrong about it being the Prisoner of Casket ban or whatever it was. Should have gone with a Wizard Stone. Ben's mother, Penny peeped her head out from behind Dave's back and gave him a disapproving look before returning to her conversation with Ben's uncle Larry, who was a local deputy. No, sir, Ben mumbled. It's right. Uh, And I like it a lot. I liked all the presents. It's just... What? I... I wish Daniel could be here. Ben noticed that Daniel's mother, Irene looked sadly at him. Ah, well, he can't, sport, Dave continued. And the sooner you get over it, the better. Won't help you any to keep moping around all the time. Um, excuse me, Irene spoke, her brown eyes ablaze. But what happened to my son was a tragedy, and Ben is going through grief, and so are myself, my family, and everyone who knew him. I would expect a little more respect from you. Dave shuffled his feet and said, ''Well, yeah, I mean, it's sad and all. He was a good kid. But really, what use is it to be letting it all get to you? Out of sight, out of mind, eh?'' Irene was about to slap him across the face, but thought better of it, and not wishing to get caught up in the middle of the altercation, as his father commonly tried to involve Ben whenever he was nearby, Bang quickly snuck away and went over to the kitchen to get another bowl of ice cream. Only a few weeks prior, the body of an 11-year-old boy was found in their town of Woodgrove, a suburb south of Nashville and slightly north of Maysburg. The discovery of the boy's body was shocking, as it had been discovered in a field one night by a passerby who mistook it for roadkill at first glance. It was deemed a hit-and-run. That boy was Daniel Mortley and was Ben's best friend out of their group of four. The news had hit hard, and nothing had been quite the same since. Ben had withdrawn from his previously thriving social life and chose instead to read books in the small closet attached to his playroom. Even at school, his relationship with his two other friends, Jay and Thomas, had grown distant, and they got along almost like acquaintances rather than good friends. Hey, what was your dad saying to you back there? It was Ben's cousin, Mike. Oh, um, that I need to get over stuff? He wiped off his glasses and pushed back his long, thick brown hair. Mike was a tall, broad-shouldered man in his early twenties with a plethora of tattoos and baggy eyes. Jackass. I was about to say something to him, but I guess that's taken care of for me. He nodded towards the front of the living room, where Dave tried to shimmy his way unsuccessfully through the front door, blocked by Irene. She wasn't yelling, but Ben knew an ass-chewing when he saw one. Dave did it plenty. Yeah, I heard about what happened, Larry told me. How do you feel about your dad? Ben looked around awkwardly, hoping that his mother wasn't nearby to witness such a direct question. I don't know. I don't really know him that well. (laughs) You know, he reminds me a bit of my granddad. He acted nice to your face, but deep down he was a coward. And I am sorry about what happened, man. I'm here for you if you ever need to talk about anything. You know, I lost a friend once, too. I was about 14, so I know how it feels. Your mom should have my number. A firm fist suddenly grasped Ben's shoulder, and he looked up to see his grandpa Charlie's tan, gray-haired face looking cheerfully at him and Mike. "'You're not trying to teach the boy physics again, are you, Mike?' Charlie chuckled. "'Though, you should keep Mike in mind if you ever need help in math and science.' "'Nah, just making sure he's okay.' "'Oh,' Charlie said, taking his hand off Ben's shoulder." Right. A real shame. An even bigger shame that my son is over there making a big fool of himself. This is a party. We're here to forget our problems for a little bit. Say, where are your friends, Ben? His grandmother, Helen, asked. I think Granny Helga's showing them pictures of Dad as a kid, Ben replied as he reached for the chocolate mint ice cream on the counter. Mike twirled his finger by his temple and ambled out onto the back porch, where Ben saw him light a cigarette. Eventually, Penny somehow managed to calm Daniel's parents, leaving an air of tension that was almost suffocating. Halga fell asleep, so Ben, Jay, and Thomas were left free to run around their small backyard like the old times, even if it felt a bit lonely without their fourth member. Dave stayed holed up in the garage for the remainder of the time, not re-emerging until everyone except Helga had left. "'All right, sport,' he announced as he changed into his dress clothes then the kitchen. "'Your mother and I are going out tonight. Helga will stay here to watch you. We probably won't be back until late, and be in bed by the time we get home. Got that, Ma?' Grandma Helga nodded, ambled over to the couch, and turned on the television." Dave sighed, grabbed Penny by the arm, and shuffled out the door. Ben walked over to the refrigerator to grab a sprite. Helga was already engrossed in her unadmitted obsession with Stargate. This was Ben's cue to leave the vicinity, lest he die of boredom, and already it seemed to him that this episode would be excruciatingly dull. Grabbing his sparkling new copy of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Ben made his way upstairs to his playroom, which was still strewn with the Legos he still played with. The wall on the far side of the door faced the street. Looking at the room from the doorway, on the right wall was a small door that led into a sort of cubbyhole with a light in it. It was here that Ben spent most of his time— reading books to escape into fantasies of the wonderful and macabre. For many people, the small space littered with neatly stacked books would have induced a keen sense of claustrophobia, but it was like a comforting womb for Ben. In this place, he could both be himself and be protected, and even cry, as he'd done on several occasions recently. Ben had a lot of books, perhaps even an obscene amount. There was nothing he enjoyed more than living the exciting life of another, but he hated nothing more than returning to his unexciting reality, where parents weren't to be trusted and friendships sailed away faster than he could grasp onto them. Time had seemed to blink by since the accident. Ben was satisfied with his present. The new Harry Potter book was more than he had hoped for, and before he knew it, two hours had passed and he was already a third of the way through. Sighing, he reluctantly set it down so that he could get one last bowl of ice cream before bed and watch some reruns of The Joy of Painting while his grandmother snored and drooled in the armchair, as she always did. Tucking it under his arm, he noticed a book that he'd not seen before sitting atop a stack that had been out of view thinking perhaps it was left as a surprise gift, he picked it up and furled his brows in confusion. The book's cover was made of a strange black spongy material. A shiny crimson set of eyes and teeth was stamped onto the cover, the appearance of which unsettled Ben. On the side, stamped in the same shiny crimson, was inscribed, The Book of Agony. Intrigued, Ben opened the book to a random page and saw the paper was a blotchy gray. The left page was covered in minuscule cursive, while the right page was taken up by a brownish-red watercolor painting that smelled of pennies. A small moan of shock escaped Ben's lips as he stared at the painting. Instinctively, Ben thrust the book at the wall and began to back away towards the door. But he didn't get out of the cubbyhole before he unintentionally glanced back and saw that it had landed face-up, turned to a page at the end. He saw, for an instant, the face of Daniel Mortley staring up at the ceiling. Staring him in the eyes was a grotesquely realistic depiction of an older woman with her jaw split in two and with needles stuck carelessly in her eyes. Ben didn't bother to look any further. He immediately clamped his eyes shut. Ben grabbed the book, slammed it shut, and raced to his room, where he threw it under his bed. Why he decided to put it there, Ben did not know, nor did the thought occur to him. Thinking of his grandmother, he stumbled back downstairs to find comfort, but he was disappointed to see that her head was thrust back. Drool and snores oozing from her mouth. Not wanting to wake her, despite the terror he felt, he went to the kitchen, made himself a large bowl of ice cream, and sat down on the couch. He knew he should wake his grandmother, but the thought made a ball of anxiety rise in the pit of his stomach. He imagined it like a ball of snakes wriggling around down there. He was always wary of disturbing adults. His parents rarely took to it well, even on good days. Family is still missing, though authorities suspect foul play at an abandoned office building at the edge of Woodgrove where they were reportedly last seen. And to add a disturbing layer to the mystery, authorities found evidence of arson, copious amounts of blood, a strange contraption, and the remains of what is believed to be some shrine. Stargate had turned off at some point while Ben was upstairs, and the evening news was now playing. But the last thing he wanted to see was the footage of the possible murder scene. He scanned the room for the remote, but to his dismay, he found it was barely sticking out from his grandmother's ass, and unfortunately, the buttons on the TV itself didn't work. The built-in VCR player didn't even work. It just devoured the tape like a savage monster. It was an old piece of shit, Dave always said, but he refused to ever save up for a new one when they had a perfectly fine one already. Ben set down the ice cream and tried to gently pull out the TV remote from Helga's ass without detection, but she gave a loud snort the second he laid fingers on it. He resigned himself to having to suffer through the dismal news station trying instead to distract himself with his new book. The killer of 15-year-old Sullivan Jones is still at large. The young boy was found murdered last March in the Maysburg Juvenile Detention Center under unknown circumstances. Authorities suspect it may be related to the murder spree we saw last winter. However, they have yet to determine if the murder spree is also related to the family's disappearance in Woodgrove. Here's Larry Ross of the Woodgrove Police Department on the subject. Yes, it is extremely upsetting to the community, and we're just as disturbed as everyone else about the past year's murders. But we don't believe that the same killer is likely responsible for all of them. And rest assured, we are working extremely hard to bring justice to these perpetrators. But in the meantime, exercise caution, especially when alone. The news was wrapped up. And after a few minutes of commercials, a documentary about forest fires came on, and Ben was finally able to escape.
1: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot Hey,
0: Daniel, you want to climb to the top of the school? Ben asked as he, Daniel, Thomas, and Jay were aimlessly riding around the summertime streets on their bikes, not a care in the world. Shit. Daniel said as he gave Ben a disapproving glance. Why the hell would I do that? What? Thomas shouted from ahead as the suburban copycat houses flew by, the wind rushing in their ears. Ben wants to climb on top of the fucking school! Daniel yelled. Fuck that! Thomas exclaimed. Well, I say fuck yeah! Daniel answered back, smirking at Ben. His dark brown hair seemed to be carried away into nothingness by the wind. What's going on? Jay asked as he came even with Ben and Daniel. We're gonna climb the school, Daniel answered. Oh, sweet. Bet there'll be cool stuff up there. They rode on, not stopping until they had reached Woodgrove Elementary, the sun still hanging in the same spot overhead. Man, I don't know about this. Thomas whined as they parked their bikes behind the cafeteria. There's a couple of cars parked out front. What if somebody calls the cops? Fuck that, Daniel said. Don't be a pussy again. We've talked about this. We're going up there. Yeah, don't be a party pooper, Ben chided. Bet you poop yourself whenever you see yourself in the mirror, Jay commented, heading over to the dumpster with the air vent above it. Is that the way up? Ben asked as Jay mounted the dumpster and put his hand on one of the slats in the vent. I think. I don't know. Well, hurry up! Daniel cried. I want to get up there too. All right, all right. Just give me a second. Jay swiftly climbed the air vent and pushed his way over the roof, wiping the dirt off his hands and the sweat from his forehead. Hey, I really think this is a bad idea. Can we, like, Go get some snacks or something? Daniel scoffed loudly. Shut up, Thomas, the train. I'm going up there too. Thomas scrunched his face. That's not cool, man. I'm just trying to look out for you guys. Then why don't you stay down here and keep watch? Ben asked as he went up behind Daniel in case he fell. All right, you got it, Daniel? Yeah. His friend affirmed as he climbed the air vent. Ben stood on the dumpster when Daniel was about two feet away from the roof. Dude! Cops! Ben could see the panic in Daniel's eyes as he lost his grip and started to fall toward him. Vaguely, Ben heard Jay yell something at Thomas, but he was too focused on making sure he could catch Daniel. Daniel seemed to fall in slow motion. And Ben, too, seemed to have a slowed, frustrating sense of movement. Too slow to catch Daniel, as his head smacked the corner of the metal lid and his body slammed into the concrete. Stumbling, Ben, too, fell off, his back scraping against the concrete. Jesus Christ, there's blood everywhere! Jay cried as he raced to Daniel's limp body. Oh, God, oh, God! Ben didn't move from where he was, but only stared at the splashes of blood surrounding Daniel. I didn't mean for this. I didn't mean for this. Christ, I was lying when I said there were cops. I just wanted to get out of here. Ben froze as he watched Daniel raise his face to look at him. His skull was cracked open and an eye was out of place. Ben awoke to the slam of a car door. The TV was still going. He noticed his body was cold and sweaty, his eyes full of tears. I tried everything. I tried Drano, coat hangers, heroin, and legal abortion. Nothing worked. Ignoring the TV and remembering that he was supposed to be in bed, Ben raced into the kitchen and threw his bowl into the sink. He would wait until later to tell them about the book. Nine out of ten doctors agreed that child pregnancy is even worse before puberty. Please call this number to donate today. Ben could hear the key in the front door, but he couldn't get to the stairs quickly enough before his father was staring him in the face. What the hell are you still doing up? Ma? Helga gave a snort and woke up with a kind of flail. Her shirt front soaked in drool. Ma, did you fall asleep again? Helga shook her head violently and noticed that whatever was playing on the TV was something that needed to be changed before Dave noticed. Reaching under her ass to grab the remote, she tried to change the channel but only succeeded in blasting the volume through the roof. And now please join us as we discover how one man contracted syphilis by sticking his whole head up a- Dave had grabbed the remote from Helga and turned it off himself, shooting icy glares toward her and Ben. Ben noticed that his face was unusually red and that he seemed to have trouble standing upright, and the same with Penny. What in God's name were you watching? He slurred. Helga shook her head witlessly, and Ben tried to ease his way up the stairs directly in front of the door. Dave shook his head and sighed. Ma, we've talked about falling asleep every time you babysit. Helga stared blankly at him for a second before she snatched up her purse along with the photo album of Dave's baby photos and waddled out the door. Ben's parents stared after her for a moment before Dave waved him silently upstairs and Penny told him to go to bed, muttering about how they should take away his stupid books. But Ben couldn't get the final image of Daniel and the dream out of his mind. Staring up at him, his face bloodied, his eye jutting out and staring into his eyes. What had really happened that summer afternoon had been much happier. Thomas had falsely announced that the cops were coming, and Ben had caught Daniel safely as he fell from above, but the nightmare had been vivid. At long last, he managed to fall back asleep with tears in his eyes, and he dreamed of red rivers and burning snow. Chapter 2 Ben woke up that morning feeling exhausted, though he did not know why. Despite the fright he'd suffered the night before, he did not think about the Book of Agony, nor Daniel for that matter. Not that he felt happy or that he suddenly became more sociable. No, he was in a definite state of decline in those regards. His parents never noticed, of course, though the Sunday following the birthday party, while at church with his parents and grandparents, who on occasion would go to church with them, his grandparents, Penny's parents, that is, noticed that something was amiss. Hey, Ben, you okay? Helen asked him as they stood up to leave, the church a soft cacophony of noise as people gathered their things. Ben quietly nodded his head, eyes cast at his old penny loafers. In each, he had placed one of the coins in the little slit for good luck. Well, how about some ice cream before we head back to your place? Charlie asked as he put on his jacket. Ben shrugged his shoulders and said, ''I guess so.'' Charlie gave him a warm smile and leaned over to Dave and Penny. ''Hey, Penny, we're gonna stop for ice cream with Ben on the way back. That okay?'' ''If it'll get him to wipe that look off of his face, then sure,'' she answered. Charlie gave a goofy thumbs-up to Ben, who forced himself to smile, and they headed outside to their old truck. ''Hey honey, where is it again?'' Charlie asked as he put the car into reverse in the parking lot. ''I think it's on Baker Pike,'' she said. ''Sounds about right,'' he returned. He gave a sly look towards Ben. ''We may or may not go there more than we should.'' He turned on the radio and pulled out of the church's parking lot. ''And the hangman plays the mandolin before he goes to sleep.'' and the last thing on his mind is the wild-eyed boy imprisoned neath the covered wooden shaft. They went inside the sweet-smelling store about 15 minutes later and waited patiently in line as a green-haired girl took their orders. So, how's school going? Helen asked after they sat down at their table. Ben shrugged his shoulders and mumbled, Good. That's not what your mother told us. Charlie rebutted. She said your grades aren't doing so hot. Ben could feel his face turn red and he stared down at his ice cream. He used to make straight A's. Ben, honey, it's okay, Helen soothed. It's been rough lately, I know. Helen rested her hand on his and Ben looked into her eyes to see not disappointment or anger, but sadness. It's okay, sweetie. We're here for you. I know, he murmured, not sure how to respond. Ben, you're more than a grandson to us. You're more like a son. Charlie's voice had lost its joviality. And we want you to be happy, and I know you're in grief. Death is a tricky thing to cope with. And we're not going to tell you to turn to God or anything, but we do ask that you turn to us if you ever need to. A tear ran down Ben's cheek, but he was too embarrassed to wipe it away and draw attention to it. Helen did it for him anyways. Ben, it's okay to be sad. I know, he said. They both smiled at him. Is there anything you want to talk about? she asked. Ben started to shake his head, but thought of the dream he'd had. "'What is it, son?' Charlie asked.
1: "'It's
0: just... on my birthday, my parents went out on a date after everyone left, and I had this dream.' He paused for a moment, trying to think of the right words. "'And in it, my friends and I were riding around on our bikes, and I suggested we go to the top of the school because I thought it might be fun,' But when we got there, my friend Thomas tried to stop us because he was scared of somebody calling the police on us. But we ignored him, and my friend Jay went up first, and then Daniel started to climb up as well. I climbed on top of the dumpster underneath him in case he fell, and then Thomas told us that he saw cops coming and Daniel fell. That actually happened last summer, except in real life I caught him. But in the dream, I didn't. And he had his head on the dumpster and fell to the ground, and there was blood everywhere, and he wasn't moving. But right before I woke up, he looked right at me, and he had a hole in his head, and his eye was all popped out. And I can't stop thinking about it, because that's how he looked when they... When they... When... Ben shook his head and tried to stop his chin from quaking before they noticed, but Helen came around the table and held him, and he couldn't stop himself, not even when people began to stare. Shh, it was only a dream, sweetie. It was only a dream. Hey, Ben, you want to go out to the car? I think we'll have a little more privacy. They went out to the car, where Ben was comforted by his grandparents but was reluctant to go back home and saddened when they had to leave. The next two weeks saw Ben's humor sapped away, only to be replaced by total apathy, leaving him almost emotionless. He wasn't depressed, but simply uninterested. Even the new book he'd been so excited about had become dull, being so much a chore to read that he instead put it away and chose instead to sit by the window in his playroom and pretend to observe his surroundings. It had been raining lately, and he enjoyed watching the fat droplets slide down the glass. Even when it didn't rain, he found he enjoyed the overcast tone the sky had taken up with the onset of autumn. Before, he would have thought it was gloomy, but now he found the cloudy skies to be much like a warm, comforting blanket— Sometimes he would try to think about things, but no thought seemed to be worthy of his time. The only thing of any real interest to him was an increasing sense that he was never alone, that something was always glaring at the back of his head. Eventually, he found himself thinking again of the book, but try as he might, he couldn't push it under the bed of his mind. He felt that it was somehow responsible for the restless, invisible eyes that followed him everywhere. He became paranoid, frequently throwing his gaze behind him only to find that nothing seemed to be amiss. But he would not read that damn book. Then the nightmares came. At first, he couldn't recall what terrors kept sending him headfirst and shivering into the night air of his bedroom at odd hours, but as time wore on, he could remember them with increasing clarity. They weren't unlike the nightmare he'd suffered on his birthday, and indeed, all crouched under the same dark umbrella. Another positive memory he'd shared with Daniel would be tainted every night. The events were gruesomely twisted to encompass him dying or suffering in ways Ben would never have thought possible, and as the days wore on, they began to creep into his daily life by forcing him into an unwilling slumber, never leaving him to rest nor live peacefully. At the same time, though, his thoughts kept being forced toward that wretched book until he eventually couldn't stand it any longer. His willpower had been ground away, and in Ben's mind, there was no other choice but to sit down and read it, cover to cover, even if it made him sick, especially the last page. But he couldn't bring himself to tell his parents, even though he knew he desperately needed to. It was several weeks before he finally mustered up the courage. "'What in Sam Hill have you been watching on TV?' Dave demanded during breakfast one December morning after Ben had described a chapter about a man being drowned in his own blood. After reading it, Ben felt as though he couldn't contain himself. He needed to tell somebody to get help from someone who could set things right. "'Just normal cartoons, Dad,' he replied. "'But I'm not talking about the TV. I was talking about the book with the pictures in it.' "'Davey?' His mother called from the kitchen. Did Ben steal a copy of Hustler from the library again? No, honey, he's not talking about nudie magazines. He's talking about. He stopped and peered at him over an expansive newspaper. What are you talking about? Ben stared at him incredulously. He'd been talking for at least ten minutes about something that had really upset him for quite a while. But instead of repeating himself, Ben simply led his parents upstairs to his bedroom so that he could simply show it to them. The only problem was that it was nowhere to be found. School that day was unusually normal for Ben. Walking home from the bus stop, his mind somewhat eased by the blissfully dull day, he could see that both of his parents' cars were parked in the driveway. However, when he went inside... There were no signs of life whatsoever. His parents were usually busy when he got home from school, but no lights were on anywhere in the house. Confused, he tried calling their cells from the home phone in the kitchen, but was only greeted by their curt and slightly rude voicemails. Unsettled by this point, Ben decided to check upstairs, nervously glancing in each room until he was in front of the playroom. A pit was forming in Ben's stomach. He tried to ignore the creaking of the carpeted floor as he approached the door, which was closed for some reason. The room was empty and dead silent at that. It was eerily darker in there than the rest of the house too, as the quickly fading winter light struggled to squirm through the closed blinds. A quick glance over gave him nothing, but there was still the cubby hole and the attic left to check, as he checked all the closets just in case. If they weren't there, then what? He decided he'd figure that out once it got to that point, which he had a sneaking suspicion might happen. Ben slowly eased across the room, apprehensive. Ben had forgotten to turn the light on in his state, and it was all the way across the room by the door, He was by the half-door in the wall that opened onto the attic, and he didn't want to backtrack. Oh well, he thought. Then, he flung open the door. A great crash erupted from inside the attic from behind him across the room, and immediately, the door to the playroom was slammed shut with terrifying force, causing the walls to quake. It happened so fast that he didn't even notice the near-total darkness that swept across the room. He didn't even realize the door had been closed until he flung himself across the room and frantically tried to twist the locked doorknob. Then, the black silence took hold of him. The attic was attached to the playroom's left side, opposite the cubbyhole, and was accessed by a half-door. Ben never went into the attic nor had he ever been curious about its contents in the slightest. One of his earliest memories had always been of his father forcing him to watch a horror movie about a monster that lived in the attic. Ever since, he'd been terrified of entering it, despite spending most of his time near it. But Ben knew that there was something in the attic now. Something real. Something he was locked in there with. His eyes remained locked on the door leading to the hallway before him, and despite the silence, his heart boomed and thudded rapidly in his ears like a drum, and his sharp, shallow breath was a whirlwind of sound. Even when he heard the door to the attic creaking slowly behind him, groaning like some monstrous demon, he stood there, frozen in place, imagining pale, slimy hands reaching out silently towards him, ready to wrap their skeletal fingers around his throat. Instead, he heard something else. It was the sound of a woman weeping softly. The sound of his mother. "'Ben, Ben, I just want my baby. Please, please give me back, Ben.' "'Mom?' he whispered, but there was no answer. Ben turned around and could vaguely make out the open doorway to that long, narrow room that was somehow even darker than the rest of the room. He silently tried to flick the lights on, but to no avail. "'Mom?' "'Mom?' he whispered again, though to no reply. It sounded as though she was all the way in the back of the attic. Drenched in sweat, he finally mustered up the courage to venture into that black abyss. He forced his feet to move forward and tried to ignore the goosebumps sending icy shivers down his body. He kept forcing his legs to move until he eventually stood just within the attic. "'Mom?' he repeated in a hushed voice. "'My baby. That's all I ask. I want Ben.' "'Mom!' he hissed. "'I'm right here. It's Ben.' "'Ben?' she croaked. "'Ben, is that really you? "'Oh, thank God. I... "'No. No. No!' He heard a short-lived shriek, followed by what sounded like a large sack being slammed against a wall. It crumpled into a pathetic heap on the floor." Ben stifled a sob and clenched his teeth, eyes wide and stinging, trying to penetrate the absolute darkness. A scratchy, quiet growl came from the back of the attic, followed by a faint click behind him from the door being closed gently. Give it to us! A high, raspy voice hissed not a mere two feet away from Ben's face. "'Yes,' a second voice growled from behind, gravelly and guttural. "'We know of the book.' Ben could vaguely sense that they were closing in on him, cornering him. "'Where is it?' the creature in front spat. No words or thoughts could have come from Ben in that moment. He'd lost all reason and was simply in a state of pure terror. Tell us! The thing behind him roared. Tears escaped Ben's frozen eyes and his muscles cramped as he crouched in the attic, unmoving. An ear-rupturing shriek exploded within the room and Ben's torso was seized by powerful arms that whirled him around. He saw a blinding flash of light and... "'Scared you, didn't we, sport?' His father guffawed idiotically, ruffling Ben's sweat-soaked hair. Ben didn't answer. He didn't even look at his father's face. He shoved him away as hard as he could and stormed out of the attic and through the now-unlocked door, slamming his own bedroom door shut and locking it from the inside. "'Hey, what the hell, Ben?' It was a prank. You don't need to act like a little fucking bitch about it, Dave shouted from the other side of the door. He heard the doorknob rattle momentarily before his father began to beat on the door again. How dare you lock the door on me? How fucking dare you? You better open this right now, do you hear me? You open it right fucking now! Shut the fuck up! Ben screamed. Hurling a baseball at the door. Excuse me? Fucking excuse me? I said, shut up, Dave! I am gonna beat that little ass when I get in there. Now you open this goddamn door now! David! Penny shrieked from the stairs. Ben thrust his fist into the wall, flinching when it stung slightly. He wanted to make a hole, but needed to put more power behind his punch. Ben, open this door or I'm gonna bust it down and break your fucking jaw, you little shit! David! Shut up! Step away from the door, David. You're out of control. I'd like to see you try and make me, you fucking whore! I'm always the bad guy to you, aren't I? It's all, Dave, don't yell at Ben! Dave, don't scream at the telemarketer in front of Ben! Dave, Dave, Dave! Dave, I'm serious! There was a hefty pause outside the room, the air heavy and suffocating. Fuck it. Fine. Ben, get the fuck to bed. I'll deal with you in the morning. Nothing more was said as he stormed down the stairs. Ben almost expected his mother to come in to comfort him but he only heard a quiet sigh before her softer footsteps followed his father's. Later, he could hear arguing and his mother's sharp cry of pain. Ben would discover a fresh hole in his parents' bedroom door the next morning. He didn't sleep that night. Chapter 3 Dazzling winter light streamed through Ben's bedroom window, and a cardinal sang on the tree outside, as though nothing in Ben's world was amiss. Ben scowled at the window and shut the blinds, insulted by the outward cheeriness that was in such contrast to the anger he felt within. He went over to his nightstand and turned off the alarm that hadn't sounded yet, eagerly awaiting the moment when he could step onto the bus and escape the tension from the cataclysmic night before. With a yawn, he rubbed his stuffy, sleep-deprived eyes, changed, and got everything ready for the day. "'Ben, honey, breakfast is ready!' Penny called from below. His stomach did a kickflip. "'Ben, don't ignore your mother! Not when it's maple syrup pancake day!' Ben did a double take. Had his father just tried to entice him with pancakes?' Knowing that if he ignored his parents any longer, he might evoke the wrath displayed the night before, he reluctantly slunk out of his bedroom and drearily made his way downstairs and into the dinette. "'Good morning!' his mother sang from the kitchen, where she was washing pans and silverware, a dark bruise on her arm. He sat down opposite Dave, who was hidden behind a ginormous newspaper and already dressed for work. "'Did you sleep well, sport?' he asked offhandedly. Ben felt truly mocked. "'Well, how about it, son?' he added, with a sharp look from over the top of the paper. It was a little difficult to take him seriously when the headline read "'Man Claims Dog Gave Him Mouth Cancer,' with a picture of a tiny old man holding the leash of a colossal Tibetan mastiff." Ben scoffed and took a bite from his mountain of pancakes. Gee, I don't know. You tell me. What are you talking about, dearie? Penny asked from the sink, a fake plastic smile stretched across her face. Yeah, what are you talking about, Ben? Dave demanded. I sure don't know what you're talking about. You might want to check your memory. Ben stared at him a moment before tentatively nodding his head. So, Dave continued, how about it, sport? Did you sleep well? Yes, sir. Good, he smirked, taking a cocky sip of coffee. Didn't let the bedbugs bite, did you? Penny trilled, followed by a shrill laugh. No, ma'am. Say, sport, Dave said seriously after a moment folding up his newspaper and leaning sternly across the table in a way that put Ben on edge. How about I drive you to school today? Sound like a plan? No, Ben answered calmly. I think I'll ride the bus today. But, Dad, I want to ride the bus. Dave leaned back into his chair and tapped his fingers on the table in agitation for a moment, before getting up. A violent jerk of the bus yanked Ben out of his light slumber. The warm winter sunlight passing through the dusty window of the bus sent him into a much-needed doze. He glanced around himself for a moment before leaning his head against the window and closing his eyes, eager to fall back asleep. Something seemed off. He tried to ignore the feeling, but something tugged at his mind, something that shouldn't be there though he wasn't sure what that was. Picking his head back up, he took in his surroundings more carefully, but his lungs suddenly took in a sharp breath and his blood turned to lead. Daniel Mortley sat in the third row from the front on the left-hand side of the bus, just where they used to sit before he'd been killed. He stared hard at Ben with features perfectly intact, No, no, it couldn't be him. Surely it was just another nightmare. The bus would crash instantly and Daniel would die for the thousandth time before his eyes. His eyes became hot and wet, and when he blinked, tears rolled down. But maybe, maybe, if he could go up to Daniel and save him from whatever was about to happen, then he wouldn't have to watch him die again. Standing up with every ounce of courage, Ben ambled his way up the aisle and over to Daniel. But when he blinked, Daniel was gone, like a dull flame extinguished in the night. A violent jerk of the bus yanked Ben from his slumber. "'You gonna eat that pork chop, Ben, or just let it rot?' Dave demanded over dinner that night." Ben shrugged his shoulders and prodded at the pork chop absently. ''Well, you're not getting up until you eat everything on your plate,'' Dave added. ''So I'd go ahead and finish it now, so it doesn't get cold.'' Ben didn't say anything. He wasn't listening. His mind was elsewhere, in the realm of dreams. He'd been in emotional distress all day, the shock of believing for a moment that Daniel had been there gnawed at his brain. Ben! Penny shot, jerking Ben out of his trance. Listen to your father. What? You better watch your tone, Dave warned. You've had a piss poor attitude all damn day, and I don't appreciate it. Do you have any idea how much we do for you? Do you even think about how we provide you with clothes, food, and a roof over your head? Heating? Electricity? A bed? Not knowing how he was expected to respond, Ben opened his mouth slightly and made an unsure kind of grunting noise. "'Guess it's a no then,' Penny muttered. With excessive force, she stabbed her fork into her pork chop and ripped out a bite without even cutting it. "'What's your damage, Ben?' Dave asked, his voice starting to get louder. "'Are you still butthurt about that prank from last night?' Christ, it's called a fucking joke, Ben. No, sir, he mumbled. What, it wasn't a joke? Well, I'm just flat out insulted now. Penny and I weren't the best actors in our high school theater class just to be told we didn't give a good performance by some ten-year-old. Twelve. Do you know how much planning we had to do? How much we had to plan out because we thought it'd lighten you up? I meant that what happened last night isn't what's wrong. Oh, don't give me that shit. I don't believe it for one second after that little temper tantrum you threw about it. No appreciation. You know, I asked off early for that. Then we had to turn off all the lights and our cell phones. Then just sit and wait around for you to come home, Penny added. In separate rooms. I had to hide in that bathroom for like an hour while your mother sat in the closet... And then when you came home, I had to switch rooms without you noticing once you came upstairs. And I had to keep the attic door cracked without you noticing and wait for you to open that closet thing in the playroom and knock over a box. And then I had to immediately close the door and switch off the lights with the fuse box. I had to change the lock on that door, by the way, just so that it would lock from the outside. And then I had to push open the attic door and get to the back of it without making any noise... And then I had to wait for your mother's cue, unlock the door, close it again in total darkness and silence, and sneak up behind you. Do you see how much effort we put in? And you have the balls to say that it wasn't a good joke? You know what? Give me your plate. Go to bed. Right now. No dinner for you until you learn to appreciate what we do for you. That's not what's wrong, Dad. Then what is it, Huh? Your little friend who got himself killed? Are you seriously fucking trying to tell me that you're still upset about that? Because I don't believe it at all. I think you're just trying to get attention. Because I've lost some people in my day, and guess what? I got a little bummed out, paid my respects at the funeral, and then forgot about them because they're no longer in my life. I move on and forget they ever fucking existed." I don't piss and moan for three months afterward. Nor would I, even if it was my own mother. Ben clenched his fists and said as evenly as he possibly could, I don't want to talk about it right now. Dave threw his hands up, and Penny threw her fork onto her plate. Fine. You want to be a little brat? Then you're grounded for two weeks. No TV, phone calls with your friends, reading, nothing. You're to come straight home after school, do your homework right here at the dinner table, and go straight to bed after dinner. Maybe then you'll learn some goddamn respect. I don't know. Get the fuck out of my sight. And to think, we tried to be nice to you this morning with pancakes and shit. Why are you still here? Gone! Get! Get, for fuck's sake! Penny, I swear to God this kid never listens. Ben piddled around in his silent room for the rest of the afternoon, not going to bed until he heard Penny come up the stairs to check if he was asleep or not. When he awoke the next morning, he was told he could have oatmeal, though he was reprimanded when he tried to add sugar to it. With apprehension, he climbed the bus stairs 45 minutes later, desperately hoping that he wouldn't again be lulled to sleep. And even though he was certain that he hadn't fallen asleep, Daniel appeared in the same seat, now glaring at him with a look of utter hatred. This frightened Ben, who, try as he might, could not convince himself that it was a dream. But unlike the day before, he couldn't muster the courage to go up to him, even if it had previously been a dream. But he couldn't turn his eyes away until they finally pulled into the school. He blinked, and Daniel was gone. Man, oh man, I hate the lunches here. Jay scowled a few hours later as he cut up a piece of pork chop. Hey, you think the pork chops taste like cheese, or is it just me? I don't know, let me try some, Ben said. He'd gone with the barbecue sandwich. Yep. Jay shrugged and said, I'm too hungry to care. Eh, True. Thomas agreed from across from Ben and next to Jay. He'd been poking at a clump of wet mashed potatoes. They sat silently for a minute, staring at their red plastic trays. "'Barbecues good?' Ben mumbled as Jay aimed his spoon to hit a girl with a pea the next table over. "'Nice shot!' Thomas complimented after it smacked her in the eye. "'Hey, you okay, Ben? You look like something's wrong.' Yeah, I'm fine. You sure? You seemed upset yesterday, too. Ben, what is it? Jay asked earnestly. It's just... I've had these nightmares every night about Daniel. Their faces grew stony. And every time he dies right in front of me. Like, you guys remember when we tried to climb the school last summer and how Daniel fell and I caught him? Yeah... Thomas said, his cheeks turning red. Well, in this dream, I didn't catch him. His head hit the dumpster and. Yeah. Jay sighed heavily. Jesus, man. No wonder. That'd mess me up, too, having to see that. Like, every night? God. Ben nodded his head and continued. But yesterday, on the bus, I fell asleep and saw him sitting where we used to sit, staring at me. I tried to talk to him, but he disappeared. But I'm unsure if I'm maybe starting to go crazy, or if... If... What is it? Urged Thomas. Ben gulped and glanced around him. Today, this morning, I didn't fall asleep. Like, I know I didn't. "'But I saw him. Clear as day, I fucking saw him. "'But this time he was glaring at me, like he wanted to slit my throat.' "'Neither Jay nor Thomas said anything as they nervously scanned the cafeteria, "'scared that they would see the same thing. "'Ben joined them, and his heart froze when he saw Daniel sitting in an empty table behind them, "'scowling at him with utmost hatred.' Ben quickly turned back to them and nodded his head to indicate to them where to look. What? Thomas asked. Ben nodded his head again, but they only stared at him in confusion. Behind me, he hissed. They both glanced at the empty table, but gave him a puzzled look. Ben turned back around himself, and sure enough, the specter of his friend was still there still as a corpse. "'Do you not see him?' he asked, his hackles raising as chills raced down his body. "'No,' Jay said with a shake of his head. "'Nobody's at that table, Ben. "'Are you sure you're all right, man?' Ben nodded his head, but the table was empty when he looked back behind him. "'He was glad it was Friday,' For at least now he would be safe from more morning encounters, even if it meant being stuck at home. But at least he had managed to sneak the new book he got for his birthday into his room without his parents noticing, though he was near the end of it, something he was sad to reach. However, he was distraught to see that his torment was not done when he spied Daniel in the same spot on the way back home. He was emotionally exhausted, running on fumes. Ben couldn't deal with this any longer and was angry at whatever the hell it was shooting him death glares. He prepared to get up and talk to Daniel, but was taken aback when Daniel stood up first and made his way down the aisle, his movement somehow unnatural, though Ben couldn't place why. Why? Daniel demanded. Why didn't you come with me that day? I... I... Ben was taken aback. How could he have known he would be hit by a car? If you had just gone with me to the store instead of sitting in your room, then I'd still be here. That man wouldn't have made me get in the truck with him. Ben was paralyzed, and his mind was empty like an unearthed grave. Do you know how much he hurt me, Ben? How much pain I had to endure before I died? Ben slowly shook his head. He was confused. "'I wanted to die, Ben, and all because of you!' His voice sounded strangely hollow, not quite like Daniel's had been. It was as if he'd become a shell inhabited by some other entity. "'I'm sorry,' Ben whimpered. What was he talking about? "'Sorry is not enough, Ben. Sorry can't change the past.' Sorry, can't bring back the dead. And you're dead to me, Ben. Deader than I am to you. And you're gonna pay. You're gonna pay dearly. Ben couldn't see him clearly anymore. His vision had become hot and blurry, and the muscles in his mouth were cramped. Daniel smirked. Tell me, Ben. You haven't seen a certain book of mine, have you? A black book? A book with a picture of me in the back? I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. Don't lie to me, Ben. You can't. I know you've seen it. You should look at it again sometime. What do you mean? He smirked again, an awful smirk that looked inhuman, and pointed two fingers at him like a gun. Only I, he said, pretending to shoot him before going back to the seat up front. Daniel once again resumed his glaring, but Ben could not meet his eyes. His heart had been ripped out, carved up with a knife, and shoved back into place, upside down. The tears flowed freely, and he couldn't make himself stay quiet. He didn't care that the two girls next to him were staring at him in dismay. A dillweed! An older boy in the seat ahead of him snarled. Would you mind shutting up? It really annoys me when I hear babies cry for their mommies. Ben glared at him but didn't say anything. He only tried to dry off his face. Who are you talking to anyways? Without thinking about it, Ben pointed at Daniel, who was wearing his dreadful smirk again. Nobody's there, dumbass! What, is it your imaginary friend? Huh? Does bitch boy McGee still play with his imaginary friends? Shut up, Ben growled. Aw, baby's getting angry. Does baby need a bottle? I said shut up. Baby want mommy? Do you need mommy, baby bitch boy? Ben stood up and took a step forward. What's baby doing now? Is he gonna tell the bus driver? No, Ben corrected, ignoring the rock in his stomach. I'm gonna do this, shithead. He cocked his fist back and slammed it into the boy's nose with a loud crack, followed by a spray of blood over the kid's mouth. Without thinking, he found that he'd imitated the way Dave sometimes hit the wall. Oh, shit! God fucking damn it! Ben didn't give him a chance to recover, but instead he punched him again, in the face, repeatedly. Fight! 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 A chorus cried out around him, though Ben didn't take any notice. His vision was red and his ears were ringing. Hey, what's going on back there? The bus driver demanded from the front though this too was lost in Ben's rage as he grabbed the kid's head and smashed it into the window. He was aware of a loud thud, thud, thud to his left, but he didn't care. He took in one last swing before he felt someone much bigger than he was pulling him away. Ben whirled around and decked the bus driver in the gut. It felt too good to stop. Chapter 4 You broke his nose in three places, Penny screeched. It only looked like one place to me, Ben mumbled. A lobotomized bag of piss could tell you where it broke. His nose looked like somebody put a jackhammer to it. What does lobotomized even mean, he demanded. Oh, never mind, she grumped. After the bus driver had pulled Ben away, he patched the kid up and made them sit separately in the front two seats until they reached the school. The whole bus was furious with Ben for making them late. When they got to school, Ben and the other child were taken to the front office, where the other kid was taken to the nurse and Ben was taken to the principal's office. Both of Ben's parents were already there, and the other's mother was also present. Somehow, Ben had been let off with a two-week bus suspension and a complimentary two weeks of in-school suspension. They were on the way back home now, with the winter night looming above. Trees blitzed past on either side, taking an ill-lit back road. Look! Dave shot forcefully from the passenger seat. You better damn well hope his parents don't press charges or your little ass is fucking grass, you hear me? You fucked him up pretty bad, kid. But he was being an asshole. At this, Dave reached around the seat and smacked him in the face. Watch your goddamn mouth. But he was, Ben protested. I don't care, he roared. You don't swear. But you just... He is an adult, Ben, Penny yelled. You're only a kid. Ben, when we get home, you march upstairs and wash your mouth with hand soap. But dad... No buts. But... Not a word, you hear me? Yes, sir, Ben mumbled dejectedly. And come back downstairs after you've got the soap, he added. I'm not about to sit up there for half an hour. Half an hour? Ben whined. Make it an hour, he said sternly. "'But, Dad!' "'Does it need to be two hours?' "'No, sir.' "'Good.' He sighed and relaxed in his seat. "'Dave,' his mother whispered. "'Do you really think an hour is necessary? "'I mean, it seems a little... "'Absolutely!' Ben's father said with relish, patting her knee and giving her a reassuring smile. Boys gotta learn somehow, right?' He gave a wink and scoffed at Ben. ''Hey, honey, how about some pizza?'' ''What about Ben?'' she asked curtly. ''There might be some bologna in the freezer. Might have some freezer burn, but it'll be all right.'' ''Fine,'' she sighed. ''But no meat lovers, okay?'' ''Well, what kind do you want?'' ''Extra meat?'' ''Deal. Oh, and, uh, sport,'' he addressed Ben.'' looking at him through the rearview mirror. "'Yes, Dad?' "'Don't swallow the soap. It'll give you mud butt.' "'What's that?' "'Diarrhea.' "'Oh.' They eventually made it home, and Ben did as he'd been told. He went straight to the upstairs bathroom, filled his mouth with gingerbread-scented hand soap, kept himself from throwing up, and went downstairs.' After an excruciating hour, he was finally allowed to spit out the soap into the sink. It wasn't easy for Ben to endure them gloating over the pizza they were waiting on, but he figured that's what he got for losing his temper, even if his parents did piss him off. "'Rinse your mouth out with water a few times,' Dave called from the living room. "'Should do the trick.' "'Where'd you say the bologna was again?' he asked, leaning over the sink." spitting out the last remnants of the soap. It's in the freezer next to the fish, Dave answered through a mouthful of pizza. Can I put it in the microwave? No. But it's frozen. Thawed out under your armpit. Apparently, Penny found this hilarious because Ben heard a series of short, girlish giggles. Um, I'm okay. Okay. Damn, honey, this pizza is so warm and rich, his father gloated as Ben fumbled with the frozen, fishy bologna. The crust is so thick and soft, his mother added with exaggeration, and the cheese is so moist and gooey. Ben glared at them and cursed them internally for their precious pizza. I sure wish Ben could have some. Dave taunted as he reached for a particularly tasty-looking piece. "'Do you have to rub it in?' Ben snapped. "'Go to bed, sport.' Penny giggled. He was in a wooded clearing, completely alone. Looking down, Ben saw that he held a gas can in his left hand and a revolver in his right. Somehow, the gun looked familiar." He looked back up to see his parents standing a few yards away from him, the orange moon casting an eerie light on their faces. They slowly shook their heads in unison. After a moment, they smoldered away and were replaced by Ben's grandparents, who were nodding at him in sync with each other. Charlie's head exploded in a great gush of blood, immediately followed by Helen's chest and head. They fell to the ground, thrashing violently. Ben heard a noise behind him and turned to see a large, black, brindle pit bull trotting up to him. He nipped Ben's left hand, making the gas can drop. The dog picked up the can by the handle with his mouth and strode over to the flailing bodies. The dog drizzled gasoline over them, and they started to hiss and cough vehemently. The pit bull cast down the gas can and trotted over to a sapling that Ben was sure hadn't been there before. The dog barked at the bodies and curled up as if to go to sleep. The instant the dog barked, flames erupted from the bodies, and Ben's grandparents became silent. Ben heard an insane cackle come from somewhere and became furious, ready to shoot whoever was finding pleasure in this. He lowered the gun when he realized that the cackling had come from himself. Blood oozed out of the sapling's bark. Kill it! Kill it! Daniel urged. He was now poised on the other side of the sapling with a stiff finger pointed at it. Ben tried to ask why, but his throat felt clogged and swollen. Kill it! Kill it! Kill it now! He screeched. Ben raised the gun to the bleeding sapling. The pit bull whimpered. Kill it! Kill it! Kill it! Ben shook his head and let the gun drop. All was quiet save the soft crackling of the flames. The sapling gushed blood like an open artery. Daniel made a slicing motion across his neck with his finger and gave Ben a look of loathing. He reached down and picked up a revolver. Ben looked down at his own feet, but the gun was no longer there. How? Ben asked. Daniel only put his finger to his lips and put on a murderous smile. The dog was growling. Daniel aimed at the tree. Then he fired. Ben collapsed to the ground instantly, screaming and clutching the new hole in his chest. Warm, wet, hollow, he thought. Looking up, everything was total emptiness, save Daniel, who was now standing over him. He glowed a deep blood red. He smiled saintly. "'The tree!' Ben gasped through the blood in his lungs." Daniel shook his head, still smiling. "'You,' he whispered, raising the gun to Ben's face.
1: "'Who are you?'
0: he wailed in agony. "'Names,' Daniel said softly, "'have power. "'And while I know yours, Benjamin Ross, "'I don't think I shall tell you mine. "'I've had many aliases in the past.' And right now, that alias would be Daniel Mortley. But it is only that, an alias. But don't worry, Daniel's safe with me, serving his purpose. But I suppose you could call me The Nameless, since I have no need for a proper name. Why would I when I have people like your lovely friend Daniel? (laughs) Ben blurted through puddles of blood gushing out from his mouth. I'm sorry? The nameless asked sarcastically, cupping a hand around his ear. Where... where is he? Home. My home. Ben's eyes began to throb, and he closed them tight against the imposter. What do you want? Ben sobbed to the ground. The Nameless hurled the Book of Agony in front of him, that crimson severed head leering up at him. You? The Nameless smirked and rolled up his sleeves. Why are you doing this? Ben choked. Only I, the Nameless responded. He raised the gun and his eyes grew dark as he pointed it at Ben. He cocked the gun. Bang! 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 Ben, get up! Your grandparents are here! Penny cried through Ben's bedroom door. Ben screamed and clutched at his chest, his heart pounding. He checked to see if the hole in his chest was still there, though he didn't know he did it. Ben slumped back into his sheets to calm down from the dream, desperately wishing to understand what it meant. "'Bang, bang, bang!' "'Ben, come on, before I make you wash your grandmother's dentures with your own toothbrush!' Dave called jokingly through the door. Grody, Ben mumbled to himself as he rolled out onto the floor with a soft thud. Yawning with an awkward stretch that made him dizzy, he shuffled over to his closet and yanked it open. "'Thump!' "'Oh, shit!' Ben cried as something came crashing onto his head. What was that? Dave called in a dangerous tone. Tits! He answered stupidly. What? Mits! Ben lied frantically. I found my mittens! That's what I thought. Cursing and massaging the top of his head, Ben reached down to pick up what had fallen from the top shelf but what he saw made his muscles freeze into place. It was the Book of Agony. Ben had been trying to find it since he had first sat down and read it. He'd even scoured his closet to the point of taking everything out systematically, just to put it all back. And yet, it felt oddly lighter than he remembered. Then, he noticed that all the pages had been haphazardly ripped out. He suddenly felt as though eyes were upon him, and though he thought he saw something in his peripheral, nothing was there. Ben didn't want to think about the book anymore, so he threw it under his bed in the same spot he had put it the first time. Hi, Benny, his grandma greeted when he came downstairs. How are you? Good, he lied thickly while receiving a rib crushing hug. That's always good to hear. Hey, son, Charlie said to Dave. You still got that rake I let you borrow? Yeah, it's out back, he replied, pointing his thumb over his shoulder. Good, good. I never got around to raking over the fall and figured I might get it back while I was here. Would have just let you keep it, but money's a little tight at the moment. Is everything all right? Penny asked. Yeah, yeah, just had to get a new car. The engine was totally shot on the old one. Repairs would have cost more than the damn thing was worth. Dave glanced out the window. Oh yeah, didn't even notice. What is that, a Toyota? Yep, 1998 Toyota Tacoma, in practically brand new condition. Got it for a steal. Wow, Dave said as Ben peeped out the living room window as well, intrigued by the red pickup truck. ''What'd you do with the fiesta?'' Dave inquired as he stepped away from the window. Charlie laughed and said, ''Damn old thing was old enough to have a mortgage and three kids. Just finally reached its limit. Kicked the old pooper.'' Dave nodded and gave an empty, ''Yeah.'' ''Benji!'' Charlie boomed, pretending just then to notice Ben as he violently attempted to break every rib he had, and his ribs were already sore from Helen.'' "'Say, how you been? School going okay?' "'Yeah,' he lied. "'That's not what I heard. Heard you got in a scuffle. Did you hit him well?' "'You're not encouraging him, are you, Charlie?' Penny scolded. <coughs> "'Charlie excessively coughed, straightening his posture. "'Ben,' he stated, with a sudden seriousness that made him jump a little. What you did was highly unacceptable. I hope you learned your lesson. However, when his parents' backs were turned a few minutes later, Charlie turned to Ben and gave him two thumbs up. A boyish grin spread across his face. Ben grinned back, a warm feeling spreading across his chest. All right, well, you ready, Ben? Charlie asked an hour later after they'd all finished breakfast. Ready for what? he asked. ''Did you guys not tell him?'' Helen asked his parents. Dave scratched his head awkwardly, and Penny coughed and stared down at her plate. ''Well, I thought we'd go out to Nashville today,'' Charlie explained. ''You ever been to the Frist?'' Ben shook his head. ''It's an art museum,'' Helen explained, catching Ben's attention as he thought of his favorite television painter, Bob Ross. ''They put on a lot of really interesting art shows,'' Think you'd like it a lot. Penny mentioned you'd like to watch Bob Ross reruns sometimes. Who's Bob Ross? Dave asked, embarrassment gone as he chewed on a giant heap of scrambled eggs. Helen smiled. He's a painter on TV. They're doing a show on Aaron Douglas today, Charlie said to Ben. He was a Harlem Renaissance painter. Really good stuff. What's the Harlem Renaissance? Ben asked setting down his orange juice and putting his napkin on the empty plate. Well, guess you'll find out. You ready? Yes, sir, Ben affirmed. Well, alrighty then. You ready, Helen? Yep. Well, guess we'll see you later tonight, Charlie said to Dave and Penny. They put on their coats and left, and for once, Ben felt like a kid again. It had been so long since he felt safe to be himself that it felt strange and made him feel a little guilty. The ride there was filled with a kind of light-hearted fun that made him wish he, Jay, and Thomas were less distant. He wished for a bridge to close the gap between the three islands to which they had moved, but he needed to learn how to build bridges. Ben enjoyed the art. He didn't know much about painting besides using odorless paint thinner and priming the canvas with liquid white, but the colorful paintings he saw displayed there made him forget about his recent troubles. Afterward, they stopped by an Italian restaurant for lunch, and as they were headed back, Ben began to nod off in the hypnotic silence of the interstate and dreamt of dementors coming to eat his soul in Azkaban. Chapter 5 Ben stood amidst the ruins of his grandparents' house, now black bones that sizzled on the snow-strewn ground. He shuffled his feet through the ashes and wondered what had happened. Like the scenery, a familiar voice crooned from behind. Ben turned, and through the soot and snow flitting in the air, he recognized the face of Daniel. The only light in the night came from the persistent embers that struggled to stay alive, which cast Daniel's face in a sinister glow. Ben had to remind himself that this wasn't Daniel, but the Nameless. "'What?' Ben asked. Daniel—no, the Nameless—smirked and took a deep breath of the smoky air, as though savoring the scent of mountain pines. "'What do you want?' Ben asked again. The Nameless opened his eyes and picked up a black book covered in soot. You ever read this thing? It's a fun little read. Ben recognized the shiny red embellishments on the cover. Yes, he murmured. The Nameless gave a soft little chuckle. Did you look at it again after our last little chit chat? The pages were gone. A gust of smoke blew into Ben's face and made his eyes water. ''Well, that's a damn shame. I really want you to read it. Maybe I can help you, if you do something for me first. Ben took a step back and wrung his hands. ''All you need to know is that if you don't do as you're told, then you will be a very sorry boy. A very sorry boy, indeed.'' What do you mean? Ben asked. (laughs) Ha! You don't even want to know, my friend. Ben winced at the nameless, calling him friend. He had desecrated the precious memory of Daniel, and that was not something Ben took to kindly. Or do you? Ben remained silent. Cat got your tongue? An owl screeched as if to stop the conversation. The nameless looked a bit worried as he tried to find it, but couldn't. Anyways, the nameless continued after a moment. I need you to do as you're told, Ben. And I told you to read those pages, didn't I? You didn't listen. And now they're gone because of you. You don't suppose I need to teach you a lesson, do I? Ben knew that this was going no place good. He didn't want to answer but the Nameless grabbed a particularly deadly-looking piece of wood as though to keep him motivated to talk. An enormous great-horned owl flew on top of a collapsed wood beam that leaned against the wall. "'Get out of here!' the Nameless warned, trying to hide the fear in his voice. Ben somehow felt that the owl was there to protect him. The Nameless picked up a brick and hurled it at the owl, ignoring Ben's cry of protest." The owl flew away. God damn it, the nameless muttered to himself. How the fuck did she find us? Whatever, just one more thing, Ben, the nameless said. Make sure to read that book when you get the chance. I'll even be nice and help find those pages for you. And you'll know when I find them. Don't worry, you'll know. You've been listening to The Book of Agony, Part 1, by Dagan Billups. Dagan Billups is an author, musician, and filmmaker based out of Tennessee. You can find more of his work on the Creepypasta Fandom website under username BannedInCP. I'll spell that out for you. It's B-A-N-N-E-D underscore I-N underscore C-P. Well, listeners, as much as I hate to leave you hanging, we've reached the end of tonight's show. Be sure to join me at this same time next week to finish up Ben's tale. In the meantime, you can fill the empty void I've left in your lives by checking out Paul J. McSorley's Fear from the Heartland podcast. You can find it on YouTube or on the podcast platform of your choice. Until next week... Stay spooky. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear a premium, ad-free edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free, and available to download or stream. Thanks so much for your time and for giving our sponsors a try today. When you support our sponsors, you help support this show, and that means a lot to me. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. As for me personally, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, username Viking Guitar, and also on Instagram as Viking Guitar Productions. In particular, if you're looking for someone to provide voice work for your own project or are in need of audio production of any sort, it would be wonderful to chat. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the Horror Hill for yet another dance with darkness, I bid you good night. Sleep tight, listener, and if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's episode was hosted by and its featured tale performed by yours truly, Eric Peabody. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Nikki McSorley and Eric Peabody. Finalization by Craig Groshek and S.K. Brown. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for future production. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, please subscribe to us to make sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect any time and get the latest updates on this and our other programs.